Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fifth episode of the PO Forecast Extra. I'm your host, Freddie Webb, and yes, we, uh, Pompey unfortunately didn't get three points on Saturday at Fratton Park against Charlton after a gutting last-minute goal, which ruined my entire evening and weekend. But we go, we're going to go over it a tiny bit, but not a lot, because this is the extra. So we're going to pick up some topics that have been around the Pompey chatter on in the newspapers and in social media over the past month. And as ever, joining me, first of all, is uh, Mr. Joff Taylor. How's it going? Good evening, Fred. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Currently got the City-Chelsea game on in the background. If I make a Gary Neville, ugh, I mean, something's happened. I won't reveal the score in case people want to watch it four days later than the actual occasion. But yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. Sweet, sweet. Your 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 weekend was just as ruined as mine was, then. Yeah, not not great. I didn't make it down to the game as I couldn't get a ticket in time. But yeah, I watched it on an iFollow because I clearly live in... The co- on the continent and mm-hmm. yeah not a not a great result let's just say that no no and some of the opinions from people before and after that game have changed wildly it's only 16 games in we've got to it's it's expected isn't it but also someone else's weekend that was ruined after that game uh mr jack hancock how are you i am okay i was coaching this morning had to essentially do a one-on-one session which i'm not the best at <laughs> so that was an interesting adaptation I also have the Manchester City Chelsea match on in the corner. So me and Geoff are going to try and out Gary Neville orgasm each other. But yeah, I'm excited to be back on the pod. Let's get into a lovely jubbly mixture of topics. Yeah, absolutely. And you'd you be pleased here, listeners, that I am the only one professional here. I've got my prep in front of me and the Zoom meeting and nothing else. Nothing else to distract me from hosting this show. So we're going to go through the following things. So we're going to go for a trend which had been around Pompey for the past month, why the Blues always concede the first goal. They haven't always, but that has been a trend where it's happened a lot of the time. So we're going to look into that with a bit more detail. Then we're going to look into what sort of chances Pompey are actually creating and what they should be given the players. We're going to have a look at the style of play, if it's working. We're going to look at some advanced data as well to see where they are in comparison to other teams in the league. Then we're going to go into probably one of the positions where there's the biggest sort of debate around who should start. We're going to look at left back and we're going to look at Jack Sparks or Connor Ogilvy. A question that sounds simple, but may become more complicated later on. That decision may affect other areas of the pitch. We're going to look at the best centre midfield combo. It's obviously Pompey the 4-2-3-1. Which players in the double pivot work best and which players should play further forward? And then, probably the most pertinent, we're going to leave to a last, we're going to look at two positions of need, which Pompey should go after in January. Previously, it was left wing, and that was going to be our main topic. But now, given the fact that Regan Poole is out for the season with his, uh, he tear his ACL, or a massive ACL injury, we're going to look at just the profile of player that Pompey should look out for in January as a replacement. And then, around the January time, We'll look into some more names and be a bit more specific. Now, why Pompey conceded the first goal? I know they didn't against Charlton, but it was something that was cropping up over the past month or so in different competitions. Most recent examples, Chesterfield, entirely done by a goalkeeping error from Will Norris. Reading, it was bad defending in isolated scenarios, so not closing down the loose ball before it went to Lewis Wing for his shot just outside the box. And also a bad bit of individual defending out wide. 
and a half-decent clearance for Charlie Savage. And then Wickham Wanderers, it was poor defending from a corner. I could go on. I'm going to throw it over to you guys, but in my opinion, it was just isolated examples of bad defending. And given that it's just 16 games into a season, well, it's over a third of the season, but still, I don't think it shows like a trend which where Pompey are getting stuff wrong. I think it's individual errors racking up early in games. Yeah, I did a bit of research into this in terms of the minutes in the game at which she's, we can see these goals and can see these chances. And basically what I found was that the period of 16 to 30 minutes, so okay, so you'd call that the middle chunk of the first half, we've kind of got this weird outlier where we are conceding a lot of shots coming from counterattacks and a lot of shots fr- coming from set pieces. Now, I, you know, these are, in my opinion, isolated situations, as you already said, Fred, but the ex- yeah, the explainer for this could be that we've got settled into the game as of the opposition, and for the counter-attacking scenario, the players aren't knackered, quite simply, so they can just have a run. They've got more in the tank to have a go. Another reason why this could be is that we're working out our attacking structure. This, again, for the counter-attacking scenarios and our rest defence. So that's kind of how our defensive shape looks when we've got the ball in the opposition half. Um, it's the most simple ex- explanation for that. But we're working, kind of working that out based on what the opposition's doing. And, you know, we're still working out our attacking structure. And so what can we do? Be more aware of this. But as you said, the data's there. It's an, a weird anomaly, but I wouldn't say it's fully kind of explanatory towards what we what we're experiencing at the moment. And, you know, credit to Massinho and the players, we have managed to come back from, you know, going a goal down, two goals down, time after time again. So, yeah, we know how to manage games. It's just we kind of want to get, you know, get a lead sometimes and be able to build on that. As I'm aware, yeah. a lot of the chances are coming from counterattacks out wide first and then into the middle. Either of you, why, why do you think that is what's causing that specifically? I'll tag on to that, but obviously it's a bit of a jumping off point. So kind of the way I saw it is that we aim to kind of grow into games and then slowly gain that control and suffocate the opposition. Whereas sometimes teams come out and they want to give us a bit of a bloody nose and rock us and throw us off our rhythm and kind of linking on to what Joff said, maybe the minimal number of late goals is for that very reason and that because we hold the ball so much and we're a very technically gifted team, you're running after us all the time. You're knackering yourself out. So that's why there's more energy at the beginning. And yeah, more counter-attacks beginning. And I'd say probably because of the way our rest defence is set up and that we're very stable down the middle, the space is out wide. So it only makes sense to attack the space, right? If the space is out wide and you've got, at the moment, as Connor Shockness, he defend the left, he's on his wrong side, whereas he should really be in the middle if Connor Ogilvy is playing. And then on the right, you've got Joe Rafferty, who is normally caught between, does he want to go forward and sit wide? But also, structurally, he has to sit back. So that would probably be my best guess in that it's a tactical thing. And, you know, if you can get players that are on the wrong side or, you know, caught between two minds positionally, that's, that's where you're going to get the most of your joy. So from there then, is it actually something to worry about? Because in the last few games, that hasn't happened to Pompey at all. We haven't really conceded the first goal. After that FA Cup game, we didn't in the EFL trophy. 
dint in the Charlton game, even though there were some chances. Pompey held their own in the first 30 minutes or so before Abu Kamara's goal. Do you think it's something that will continue to haunt Portsmouth for the rest of the season? Or do you think it's just a blip? I think looking purely at the numbers, it probably is a blip. But you'd like to think Massinho and the team are working on, okay, we've recognised this as a problem. You know, we're we're conceding shots and we're conceding goals from these scenarios. How do we most effectively work on that without compromising what we can offer in attack? Hopefully we see that in the next couple of games. We've got the international break coming up, so that might be some time to take a look at things. But yeah, you hope they are, you know, looking at those situations being, okay, it's better if you change your body position to be facing the attacker in this scenario, for example. It's better if, you know, the holding one of the holding midfielders is a further five yards back because they're committing another man forward. You know, it's those it's type, those types of things where that will happen in the video room and then on the training pitch, and hopefully it will translate onto the playing pitch. Yeah, do you want to add anything to that before I, we move on to chance creation? No, I mean, obviously we're we're all separate data perverts. I don't think you'd proclaim that, Freddie, but I'm sure me and Joff would. But I think they're also, it does lie in the intangibles and, I think there's times when like, I love Will Norris, so I'm sure you're kind of sick of me talking about him, but there's moments where Will Norris will lose his concentration or his positioning will be off. And, you know, there's moments where uh, I don't want to pick out names because I, I can, you know, really nail on them because it doesn't really stick out. But there, there are definitely instances where other players switch off or they overcommit. I think Jack Sparks on a few occasions has made the wrong decision defensively. And it's just those kind of intangibles of concentration and decision-making that also let you down in attack. But um, definitely in, in some of the goals we can see this, this season so far, it's been down to poor decision-making. It seems that the poor decision-making in the defensive third compared to the final first has cost Pompey more, in my opinion. It seems that whenever there's like a big mistake in a defensive line, it's capitalised on an awful lot. Whereas if Pompey mess up an attack going forward, They've got the ability to create another one and later in games as well. So it hasn't been an error that's, you know, that's noticeable as much, I think. But no, hopefully this is just a blip and Pompey's defensive numbers as a team seem okay. So I think they'll be fine. Speaking of creating chances, we're going to move on to what sort of chances Pompey are creating and ones that they should be given the sort of players they have and the style of play they go under. Pompey currently fourth in League One for expected goals per shot. Essentially, that is a middle, a measure of the quality of chance per shot in a game, and it's currently 0.141. And it's pretty much up there with some of the teams. It's up there with Oxford United that's slightly higher, but marginally, and also Derby County as well, even though somehow they keep on losing games because they play a wretched brand of football, but there we are. Goals in total, Pompey's 27 league goals. Eight of them are from headers. Eight of them are from corners which I believe is up there, some of the highest in the league, and also four penalties. So anybody who, you know, obsessed with only looking at non-penalty XG would lose their minds because Pompey have had four penalties, but I don't particularly care, to be honest. With the chances that Pompey are creating at the moment, is it sustainable? And is that level of, let's say, in the top four for expected goals per shot, is that statistic going to stay high from what you're, what we're looking at in each game at the moment? I think with some tweaks in the way we create would do us quite well because what I've noticed, that, so when we attack up the left-hand side, it's a lot of uh, crosses and um, high crosses because obviously you've got Jack Sparks, you've got an incredible delivery. On the right, it's a lot of cutbacks and, and kind of flashes across the box. 
And those, I think, cutbacks are actually what we should be doing more of because I love this squad, but we're not gifted with loads of great finishers, in my opinion, anyway, which is why you notice we've got really high XG per shot, but we've got an an XG underperformance of about six, and that's as per Y Scout. So that tells you creating the right opportunities, but not as tuck them away. Even, you know, Colby Bishop, God, I love him, but not gifted one on one, in my opinion. Great finisher in the penalty box, but. There's one-on-one moments where you go, you've got to be scoring that as an elite number nine, but he doesn't. And yeah, that's fine because you create other opportunities. But yeah, in terms of what we're creating, as I said, there's a lot of uh, turnovers on the left-hand side, followed by direct running at the box, which is fine if it, if, you know, it, um, results in a cutback or whatever. But what we should be creating, I'm rambling here, but I'm trying to get all my points in before I forget. I think Swanson could help a lot of more cutbacks on the right-hand side. He loves getting to the byline. And also you can use him to lock up wingers uh, 1v1 because in my opinion, Joe Rafferty's crossing is slightly overstated. I think it's good, but it's not as good as people make it out to be. We shouldn't be looking for 1v1 moments or opportunities where great finishing is required because we don't have the profiles for it. And I think one small change to get a, a bit more variety is on the left-hand side, teams know we're going to set up to cross via Jack Sparks. If you can get a really deep probing run in the half space, so you kind of set up for the cross, team gets sucked into the box then you hit him with a cutback after that that half space run. I think that could be really good because it means it gets flashed across to Colby's back foot, which would be his right foot, his strong foot, and hopefully that should provide more advantageous finishing opportunities for our front line. Yeah, even though the left hand side is getting a lot of joy with chances creation. I mean, Sparks has four assists this season from fullback. It's quite a good marker already. It is pretty obvious that the winger is going to try and take on the fullback a little bit and then cut back and play that ball to Sparks. And if that happens too many times, it can get a bit one-dimensional. Sometimes a very vicious dribble into the penalty area to try and skin the fullback might be a bit better. We're going to talk more about that later on in the left-wing spot. Obviously, with Colby Bishop, he's probably the best best player in the side, in my opinion, for, for, for what he does. Ten goals, two assists already this season, even though he squandered probably a few chances against Charlton, you could probably argue. And he didn't have the best of games against Chesterfield, but then again, who did. I think most people had a poor day at the office in that game. Pompey are never going to score a lot of goals where it's going to be a through ball through him and he's running down the channel. That's just not the sort of striker he is. And also, given the fact that our wingers... I like Paddy Lane. He's very aggressive on that side. Even though he does like a cut to a cut back to the full, to the fullback for the cross, he also runs into the penalty area and creates a lot of space. It's pretty clear how Pompey are going to get most of their goals just from the way that we've set up, really. Recently, our attacking midfielder, with Tino Andrian injured, Terry Devlin's entire role, he mentioned it in an interview, was just basically to stick on Bishop the entire time and he picks off the scraps around him. The wingers like to dive in a little bit, but then pull back to the fullback an awful lot. And even though it's created a lot of chances and Pompey are up there in their expected goals on target, their quality of chances is still very good. Joff, do you think more can be gotten? And is is it too one-dimensional for the rest of the season? Not to be put too negative on it, obviously we've seen this side be very good, but how sustainable is this? No, I think I think you're right in terms of teams finding you out and I think when so much of our play comes from, as Jack's pointed out already, the kind of cutbacks on the right and the crosses, those outswinging crosses from the left-hand side, there is something that can be done to mix it up. You know, we do have good possession in the opposition final third, there's no denying that. I think there was a article on Opta Analysts website saying that we had the highest field tilt, which is just a metric that measures a team's possession in the attacking third compared to their opponents. So 
that's good. It's just what we do with it then. You know, and we are doing well, but teams will find us out. So a couple of things that I thought could work is just not just outswinging crosses from the left, but outswinging and in in swinging crosses. So you've got your fullbacks who play on their natural size. So you've got Jack Sparks on the left and you've got Joe Rafferty on the right. We know how good Sparks is, but you know, I'm not suggesting, you know, Rafferty switches it onto his left and pulls an in swinging cross in, but you know, Paddy Lane plays on that right hand side and mixing up those kind of patterns of play. So he's able to put in an in swinging cross that perhaps the defense won't expect will, you know, create confusion within defenses. And if we're ready for it, it will be good. And, you know, further down the line, if we start building up loads of different things into our playbook, you know, in swinging, out swinging, cutbacks from both sides, then, you know, teams aren't going to know what to expect and therefore spaces will open, open up and we can, you know, we can play the football that we want. So there are a few things that, yeah, I've just gone through that we can be doing, but the way we're going, I can, I can see teams working us out, sitting deep, double marking Bishop in the box, whatever. If we're if we're going to continue the way we are, yeah, and, and it's quite clear that Massino has built the tactic around getting most out of the players he has, which, as any manager, is a good thing. You can't be, especially in the lower leagues, I don't think you could be dogmatic with a style of play and just ignoring what sort of players you have. It's just it's just not going to work if you don't have the players the right style. You're not going to be successful in the lower leagues, I don't think. Right, so looking at quality chances also creating compared to other sides in League One. In total, currently second for total expected goals with 31.78, with the only side above that being Peterborough. And that's quite obvious. We know what sort of side Peterborough is. They're a very attacking and direct side. A lot of young wingers and strikers like to bomb on an awful lot. Clear to see why they're up there, but defensively, they're still not brilliant, whereas Pompey are. And then below that, with 29.51, you've got Derby County, which are who are slowly sort of able to, you know, try and get some form behind them, but still I don't think the brand of football they play is that brilliant. And also their laps defensively. And then below that in fourth is Stevenage, who also have a large discrepancy between goals and expected goals, only scoring 23. And then comparatively they've got 27.81. But they're a very direct side and they are definitely scoring a lot of similar types of goals just by the just by the players that they have. That discrepancy in Pompey's quality chances to actual goals the 31.78 to the 27. Why do you think that is? Is it just the players not taking their chances properly? Is it over-reliance on Bishop for goals and then the other players around them not being as clinical? Why is that discrepancy there and will that continue for the rest of the season? I think it's a mixture of things. I think, as you say, we are very reliant on Colby Bishop. I don't think it's a bad thing per se. But you can't expect Colby to run as hot as he has been. Like he's going to have, but he scored. Uh, yeah, he scored. I guess it's two days ago when this goes out. He scored on Saturday against Charlton, but he could have very easily got a hat trick, in my opinion. I'm not sure what the XG gods will say about that. But I also think we've, there's been some really good goalkeeping performances against us this season. You know, in recent times, David Batman's, in my opinion, despite conceding twice, uh, three times already, is fantastic for Reading. Batman was great for Charlton at the weekend. I'm sure the list goes on. But also, I think if you look at play, I think Alex Robertson is he's, he's underperforming his XG in all comps by something like six, and that's like that's insane. Again, like most of those shots have been good. It's just been a good save or a block or things like that. And we're, we're creating the right chances, but like maybe we can create more of them as, as I talked about earlier. But I think it's just poor finishing. I think you look at 
God, I love Christian Sadie, but pretty poor, pretty poor finisher from what I've seen so far. It's things like that where you not quite got the Sadie profiles. is so much better in the midfield, isn't he? And and we thought <sighs> we signed him that yeah. he was the backup to Colby Bishop, and that's quite yeah. funny that he's just not. But he's brilliant at other things. So you think Christian, Christian Linton, is all right. Chris Linton. But yeah, it's just poor finishes in my opinion and uh, and good goalkeeping performances against us. I know it's maybe a bit of an oversimplification, but that's that's how I see it. Yeah, I just had a quick look at Cole Bishop's stats against Charlton. In with the penalty adding 0.76, his total XG for that game was 2.22. So even with the penalty, he had roughly one and a half worth of quality chances in there that he missed, which is massive and it's not really going to... You know, I hope it's not going to continue, really. I don't think it will, because he's a strong finisher anyway. He's currently got 11.33 expected goals in total in the league and is on 10 goals. So he's roughly around it. Basically, that one game against Charlton put him over. That'll probably correct itself in a few games. Joff, look at, do you think Pompey need to add finishers then in January, especially in the wide areas? We'll go over this in more detail on the left wing slot at the end, but is that something which the management should look into do you think yeah i know we're going to talk about the left midfield position in a bit more depth later on but we talked about this prior to the season you know we needed our wingers to contribute and they have to an extent you know paddy lane's been good however one of those things is that you know if we're mixing up chances like i was talking about earlier in terms of different types of crosses cutbacks if the wingers also have an option to you know cut inside and curl on into the defenses won't know how to react to our attacking patterns of play and they won't know how to react to us. So we do either need to start scoring from these and, you know, the data shows that, you know, we're underperforming. So just like the, you know, us not conceding for, for so long and we suddenly need to start to concede, you know, things will regress to the mean. We could just be going through an unlucky patch. The goalkeeping performances against us, you know, have been good. You know, we could go and absolutely rinse a team 5-0, you know, over the next couple of weeks. And that'd be great. And, you know, things might be back to normal. Hopefully those goals may, might be a bit more spread out and the XG gods will be kind to us. But we can strengthen, and especially in that left midfield position, because Kamara's doing a job there. You know, it's not his preferred position, but really right mid, great. Left mid, question marks. And then in the 10 roll, it's still undecided. I think we're going to go talk about that a bit later on as well. I think without being too, um, you know, overly positive like I always am, this might sound like a, a weird amount of copium, but I would, I probably prefer being in our position now. So we're top of the league, massively underperforming our XG, not massively, but we're underperforming our XG by a margin that would get us extra points. Whereas if we were, you know, around, let's say fifth, sixth, a hugely overperforming that XG, I would be slightly worried because we've still got way more strings we can add to our bows we spoke about earlier. And if we can add a few more, a few more finishes and, you know, a couple more varieties in our attack we're going to absolutely fly and that goal's column is going to shoot up and it's already pretty high and the underlying numbers are good so yeah I mean I guess the counter argument would be if you want to get you know really particular you could say maybe we won't regress to the mean as much because there are so many variables in football you can't always legislate for for XG but I don't know I think you always kind of see it level out eventually and we're doing the right things but we can just we can add a bit more and that, and that is a really good thing when you top a league and still unbeaten for those people who aren't 12, a definition of copium is basically saying things to make you feel better about a situation that's bad or that could go wrong. 
I, th- I think that's what it is. I don't Cutting edge analysis myself. here on the extra. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have TikTok myself, so I don't, I'm not really up on it, but there we are. Let's look at the left-back spot then. Jack Sparks or Conor Ogilvy? Obviously, Jack Sparks starting more now because of Conor Ogilvy's injury, and he's been flying going forward, as we all expected to a certain extent. He's not literally been flying, by the way, just to clarify. There's no wings. Superb. not flying about wings. Superb. But... He's definitely doing well going forward. Currently in the league for assists this season, averaging 0.31 expected assists per 90. Same as quality of chances, but quality of passing effectively. He's averaging 41% crossing accuracy when he's averaging nearly five crosses a game, which is pretty absurd in my opinion. He's doing very well with that. Is that attacking output now that Sparks is bringing? Is that now necessary to this squad? We talked earlier about the team underforming their XG but they are still creating chances. If you take Sparks away from this team, does this neuter the attack too much? I think it depends who you replace them with, and it also depends who else is playing in the side and how we decide to set up without him. Because without Jack Sparks, I'd say we're more solid defensively, especially in transition. And if you've got Zach Swanson on the right-hand side, for example, then it's a different type of attacking threat. Good cross of the ball, good runner, you know, can can invert if you'd like. You could invert from right or left back. But really, it, it, it depends on the opposition we're playing and who else we, we decide to play. Because if you play Conor Ogilvie and, say, Joe Rafferty, you could get, you know, you could possibly get away with playing a slightly more aggressive midfield, say, Morel, Robertson, Sadie, or Morel, Andrew, Devlin. Mullen Pack does exist, don't worry. He's just injured at the moment. But Sparks is a great attacking threat. Ogilvy, not so much. He's got his qualities. I always harp on about it. There's a goal last season we scored under Cali. I think it's against Cambridge where he just arrives at the back post and it's just phenomenal after a great passage of play. But, you know, he's got the ability to do that and, you know, we can switch things up. So I don't think it's entirely down to one player. If you do switch him out and keep the same team, then I don't think we would be as effective with Ogilvy and would have to kind of problem solve and players would have to work out you know new patterns of play and all that kind of stuff but it would be more of a kind of team team change in my eyes yeah absolutely and looking at sparks's defensive metrics some of them are what you expect them to be and some aren't i compared them with left backs in league one who've played at least four games because there's only 16 league games so far he's 10th in that selection for his dual win percentage when he's averaging 16.2 16.2 per 90, which again is about average, but he's below average for defensive duels. That's basically winning the ball back when someone's got possession. So, and that's 56.25 for his accuracy. He's around average for aerial duels, which I think is good because he's not the biggest fullback. So being around average for me is fine. Jack, do you think Jack Sparks has held up defensively? Because obviously everybody thought beforehand that he was a complete liability there and some of his stats are okay, some of them are better than I thought, but some of them are where they should be from previous bias. If you take him out, does he cause too many defensive lapses in this side when he plays at the moment? I remember, I think it was after the Lincoln game, I, I think I referenced this last month, but I'll reference it again because, you know, just give me more stick, why not? I tweeted a kind of half in jest saying, you never play him at left back again. I didn't really mean it, but what I did mean was in order to you know thrive and play in this team consistently long term, he needs to improve defensively. Um, he's probably around average defensively now. I don't have the numbers to hand, but 
it's starting, it's starting uh, improvement, which is really encouraging. Under the mentorship of, I believe, John Harley and Seth Raymond are working with him on kind of both sides of the game. His decision-making at times still concerns me. He'll overcommit at times and he'll kind of get tight to the ball too early, uh, kind of fully commit to duels too much, that sort of thing. And I'll use that as a jumping-off point to talk about the differences in the team, depending on who plays at left-back. So when Sparks plays, I've got four points for Sparks, five points for rugby. When Sparks plays, you need a winger who sits in the half space because obviously Sparks wants and should be high and wide. So Andrin, from what we've got in the building, is probably the best fit. Ironically, he's not fit, but kind of Andrin or Scully is probably the best fit on the left at the moment. Obviously, Camera is doing a solid job, even though he's not uh, an actual in that position, but that's by the by. Shocknessy has to defend the left half space as he's the left centre back in possession. You get an increase in set piece delivery quality. And for your right back, you'll need someone who can sit deeper and defend the channel. Whereas on the flip side for Ogilvy, you need a touchline hugging winger because Ogilvy's going to be deep and a half space connector. So ideally that's Abu Kamara and Robertson, who we've got in the squad at the moment. You get a drop off in set piece delivery if Sparks isn't playing, obviously. Uh, but you get an increase in defensive solidity due to Ogilvy's channel defending. And oh, that's going. I've just looked at my notes. It says pull brackets before injury has got to step out from right centre back and carry the ball into the right half space. And you ideally need a right back who can get to the byline and hold width. So although we 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 tend to go the three two five in possession, although at times actually recently you've seen a switch to a two three five, but I think that's more situational than than anything. I think we'd still prefer that three two five. The structure doesn't really change. It just depends on who's in what spot and what tweaks you have to make to the personnel. So yeah, you kind of need someone more narrow. Is a wing more narrow when Sparks plays and a winger that's wide when Oakley plays. Essentially, if I'm going to really oversimplify it, but it's just kind of when you put out like, like we'll do it in the week. You, let's say we have I don't know Blackpool. You'll put out your, your suggested lineup. You go, oh, I want this player, this player, this player. I think it's really important to be conscious of how does it affect the style? Does it fit the structure? Are you taking into account the different dynamics between the the subunits? But yeah, it's just like a, a little tweaks and little pros and cons to everything. I think the ultimate answer, and I don't think it'll happen for what it's worth, but I think a three four three, three two two, whatever, five two two one. See. Pep Guardiola once said that uh, formations are just telephone numbers and that very much proves it. Um a back through would probably work with Ogilvy at left centre back and, and Sparks to left wing back. But for now, I think I'd still probably go Ogilvy. I love Sparks, but I still probably go Ogilvy. I guess you can make it work. Yeah, since since coming into the side Sparks has offered an awful lot. One defensive stat that I do like on him is his high offensive duels rate. His success rate for that is sixty one point eleven percent. So he's very the ball sticks to his feet quite a lot and not point seven seven key passes per ninety and one point nine two deep completed crosses. It's pretty clear what Pompey are trying to get out of him when he's pushed that high. And he offers an awful lot. Looking at Ogilvy a bit more for that same for those same filters I've had for Sparks, he's third in the league for Jules accuracy in total at 57.59%. Average is over 17 per 90, but he's below average in defensive Jules, which is something that I was quite surprised with. He's still better than Jack Sparks in that role, but worse than I thought he would be. He's about average for winning balls in the air, but looking at his offensive stats, he's the fourth worst in that sample for his crossing accuracy. And he doesn't dribble all that often, so it takes away some of the impetus going forward, which we pretty much knew already. Joff, what, what are some of the good things that Ogilvy brings to the side if Massino decides to play him? Because looking at these defensive stats, the duels rating overall is all right, but in some key areas, his analytics are not as good as I thought they would be. Yeah, I think Jack touched on it earlier in terms of 
Jack, not Hancock, but Jack Sparks making the wrong decision in defence at times. And, you know, that's led us to concede relatively big chances on occasion. I think, I think that comes with having come from a background as a left wing back at Exeter and then, you know, as a left winger, you get your plus points from that, the very, very good standard of crossing. But you, you know, you don't get that as much with Ogilvy and that kind of solidity in transition. You know, currently we've mentioned this before, but with Sparks on the side, we'll have Rafferty, Paul, and Shocknessy defending in a back three when we've got the ball. Uh, so that's Shocknessy on his wrong side. However, with Ogilvy, that kind of flips around. Rafferty can get higher up the pitch, and you've got Shocknessy in the middle, Paul on the right, or whoever it will may be now, and Ogilvy on the left, which means you've got a left footer on the on the left hand side, which is you know it's naturally more comfortable body position when defending transition you know i'm not an expert but i know it's pretty important showing someone the wrong way closing them down forcing them into making a decision that's probably not the best you know it's it's an art form and ogilvy is better at that in possession as well you know ogilvy can get up the pitch i think i've referenced this before but chelsea in the past you know would have their kind of nine drop in if there's a cross coming in from the right and marcus alonso would be at the back posts with with a header, because Marcus Alonso is a big bloke, he's six one maybe. You know, Ogilvy. Don't think he's that tall, but he is very good in the air, and that you know could be another string to our bow in terms of attack. So, Jack, are you of the opinion where if Pompey are playing against a certain side, let's say Bolton away from home or a Blackpool away from home, and both players are fit, you would probably start Ogilvy at left back and then play a slightly more attacking orientated centre midfield instead. Yeah, I'd say so, especially with Paul being injured, because you can get a, a sort of a, a limited, um, not really sure what I'm saying here, but um, you kind of, Paul and Shocknessy can cover for each other, as I'm trying to say. Whereas when you take Paul out of the side, and he played really well against Charlton, despite a couple of poor decisions in possession, but that's relatively by the by. If you've got Sean Ragger and Colin Shocknessy, they're not the most mobile, kind of making depth runs. So you, you've got to be a bit more sensible in your lineup decisions. And I, I wish I've seen more positive combinations between Ovi and Sparks to say, you know, play Sparks at left wing because, as I said earlier, when you play Ovi at left back, you want a touchline hugging winger. And that is Jack Sparks. So like, I'm sure it could work, providing you have, I guess it will be Alex Robertson as the as the ten. But there's not enough evidence for me to say, yes, you know, you can absolutely play Sparks and Ogilvy together because I just, I don't know. I don't know the answer. And yeah, where, when you come up against those good teams, and not just, uh, you know, qualitative good, but teams that maybe aren't as good, but have really good wingers, 1v1, they're good on the counter. I'd play Ogilvy as well. I'm, I'm not sure it's as easy as saying, ah, oh, yeah, against the crap teams, you play, you play Sparks against the good teams, you play Ogilvy because I don't think that's the case. I think that's, really, that's dumbing it down a bit too much for me. It doesn't. It doesn't matter game by game who you play, and but I'd, I'd probably lean toward Conor Ogilvy most of the time. It'd just be oh, I'd be so good if they were obviously going to work together as a partnership with Sparks the left wing because that solves so many problems and you can get the best out of both of them. To be fair, given the lack of depth in the left wing spot, that might be something that they would go after. But obviously, we've talked about how this position changes an awful lot in the midfield, and I asked the guys which combination of midfielders they prefer the most, their favourite set. Mine is probably the go-to choice of the most balanced setup. If they're all fit, I prefer the midfield three of Pack, Burrell and Robertson. 
Unfortunately, I like Tom Lowry, but he loses his place a bit too much because I think Gerald Burrell's had an, a very good season so far and an excellent bump. He's moulded into that proper engine centre midfielder who could do a little bit of everything. And I think, especially since Pac's injured, he's taken up that mantle an awful lot. I do like Robertson deeper. I had worries about him to start with, but he's shown that he can battle defensively and get himself out of tight spots with his close control, which is really good, and then playing the ball out. But we've mentioned already with his high expected goals rate that he creates a lot going forward. He hasn't converted yet, but he definitely creates a lot going forward. So I would like to see him at the 10. And we've got loads of other centre midfielders behind them who can fill roles as well. So what is your midfield three then, either of you? Mine's the same as yours, Fred. But, you know, I think it, it you know, it depends again who we're who we're facing. Pack, Morel, Robertson, I think would be amazing against a team away from home who are also gonna want to have a lot of the ball. You know, you've kind of got that extra bit of solidity in there with Pack. However, sometimes, you know, I might get crucified for criticising Marlon Pack here. However, sometimes I feel that some he could just move the ball on a bit more quickly. And then, you know, against teams where we, you know, we've got a lot of the ball, we need to break down a defence. I think Morel, Robertson and Anjurin is a really, really good combo because you've got creativity and unpredictability coming from deep and kind of in that forward line. And you've got the industry and Morel and Robertson are kind of, you know, a proven pairing at this level. So both could work. You know, if you need to, we've got a lot of games left to play this season. There will be rotations. So, you know, if you, if we're two new up and need to close out a game and pack has started, bring him on. You know, he gives you a bit of security. If we're chasing a game, bring Andrew on, drop Robertson in, or, you know, go for a four, one, four, one or four, three, three or whatever, play with two eights. You know, we've got we've got a lot of options, which in my eyes is only a positive. Just a just a point on Pack before I get on to uh, some of the midfield pairings I conjured up. I'm a big fan of Marlon Pack, but I said to the to my mate next to me at Fratton Park yesterday, I think Pack can be more disciplined at times, and your brain will automatically leap to oh, you mean against the ball in, in terms of the fouls. For me, it's when we're in build up. Pack very often comes incredibly close to the back line, too close, way too close, and then as Joff said, doesn't move the ball on quick enough. Whereas if you look at Morel and, and Robertson, they're a bit more disciplined and they will give five, ten yards, whatever it is, five yards, five, seven yards, a number of yards, <laughs> distance between the back line and the midfield. And that just creates a bit of separation and makes you a bit harder to play against. And I think if Pack can just stop being so drawn to the ball, I think that would be really good for him because it's less movement for him. I know he likes having the entire pitch in front of him and he can open up and kind of spray passes, but maybe rather than playing him in a midfield, you can drop him into a back. I don't know. But anyway, I conjured up two midfield combinations because I completely agree. Pac-Mero Robinson is our best midfield, most balanced, yada, yada, yada. I've got two midfield combinations here. I've got the short kings of the world unite combination, which is Larry, Morell and Robertson, which in my opinion could work if you've got Sparks at left wing and a bit left back. A lot of technical um, proficiency there. Morell doing most of the grunt work as well as Robertson. I think that could work in very specific situations. And then you've got the chaos for the chaos god combination of Morel, Robertson and Sadie. And you've got really good balance there. Ball winners. What's a good ball retention? I mean, you look at Sadie, I know he's been called a passion merchant recently, which I don't quite agree with. And he does have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, I'm not sure what the word is, a lot of effort. But also like he's got an incredible ball retention ability. 
when he goes in for jewels, he just he just seems to come up with the ball so many times. He's got great hold up play, loads of energy. Obviously, Robertson is Robertson. We all love him, and then Joe Morales is just as well rounded midfielder. And I think we've got so yeah. I mean, Neil Bissard is Pat Morel Robertson, but if you're on a bit of Bit of a sprinkling of vibes. You go for either Larry Morel Robertson or Morel Robertson Sadie. To go against your point of the short Kings Unite, as someone who is, I'm going to say, six foot with a pair of football boots on, I reckon I'm just about six foot. No, that's, that's just like a um, woman saying they're six foot with uh, tall with high heels on. It's the male equivalent. Yeah, be honest, oh, Josh. Don't try and impress us. Don't try and impress us here. I want. Just, just say you're 5'10", 5'11", like me, and so just accept it. Is five five six. <laughs> how do you... I mean, this is totally for fun, but how would you feel that the short kings, so Morel, Lowry, Robertson, would fare against a midfield of the big boys? So Pack, Andrew, and Sadie. I'm just going to leave that out there. Not, not going not to drop a Stevenson in there, are you? I, I would have gone Pack, Stevenson, Andrew. Stevenson's the forgotten kings. man in all this. I don't yeah, even mention him at all. Yeah, yeah. St- I was, surprised he, I was surprised he didn't play in the Chesterfield game. I thought he would have done, personally. But. Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed by our management of Stevenson, to be honest, because he's not the best, but I think he's got a good tool, good tool set. I think he's got a good uh, good skill set. I would have liked to see him play more, especially, in the, especially in, as you said, in the FA Cup. And I think there's games where it would be quite good to get Robertson high and connect with the winger, with a left winger, or kind of Sparks, whoever that may be. Yeah, I think the tool, the tool Kings would lose out to the short kings in my opinion because I feel like they'd run rings around them and Pack would get too close to centre backs. But yeah. That I that's like a football manager experiment, isn't it? No, I think I think so too, but I think a lot of times just going for the most balanced midfield, especially in a league where all sorts of where you play against all sorts of teams, I think that's the right way to go. Let's go to probably what most people are going to listen to this pod for. Replacing well not necessarily replacing, but bringing in a ball playing centre half in January, and just to make you guys f- feel better. Did you know that Sean Raggett has best better pass accuracy than Regan Paul this season? Yeah, because he don't plays like two passes a game. <laughs> I was going to say, don't get me started on centre back pass accuracy. But <laughs> yeah, and that's, uh, that's uh, topic uh, for another. I, I, I will say that that is overall pass accuracy. And looking at more specific stats, it shows what Regan Paul is good at. So the sort of centre half we need to replace Regan Paul for this period while he's out for the season. I think this is necessary for the side to continue to be as successful as it is. Quite simply, you need a centre-half who's comfortable on the ball, considering that senior sides like to hold possession and build up play and control games. You need someone who makes a lot of forward passes. Paul averages 22.21 per 90 in that metric and is accurate for 78% of them, just over. Also, it's someone who consistently makes a high number of progressive passes. So someone who brings the ball out and builds it quickly. I know a lot of people are saying, well, isn't that what the midfield job is? Yes, to an extent. But if you're against a side that's sitting in a low block, you want your midfield a bit more advanced to try and spread their defensive structure a little bit. So that's why the ball, the ball playing since half can go out a little bit. So someone who make a lot of progressive passes, pool averages 8.98 per 90 with just over 80% accuracy on that. And that is up there with the best in the league and centre-halves. And someone who can also be good at passing to the final third as well. Paul is around 67.78% from averaging 5.54 passes to the final third per 90. So in those metrics, I feel like filling in that slot is going to be very hard in January. There won't be a lot of players out there, I don't think. Those sorts of players are usually in the starting 11s of sides, especially in the Football League. 
and would probably require a ridiculous fee. So is it necessary to bring in a centre-half who can do all of those things with the range of passing and, I would say, going forward, but not going forward in the sense of like being a striker or a winger or a mid, even a midfielder, just with a long range of passing who can control the ball? How important is it that that is replaced in January? Because I personally think it could define our season. I think this situation, and I, you know, I don't really want to bring the Eisners, the Eisner debate in onto this podcast, but I think what we do with this situation will really kind of show how serious the Eisners are in terms of okay, we need to get out of League One and get into the Championship, and that doesn't mean paying over the odds, really solid recruitment like we've done in the summer and getting the right person in. And, you know, that, that is partially down to Rich Hughes and John Massino. However, if that defender does require a fee, you know, I, I say we go for it because, you know, you see what happened a few seasons ago where we were at the top of the league at Christmas and Ben Thompson left and, yeah, we, we didn't go up that season. And so we, you know, it is vital to our season that we handle the situation carefully. Don't rush into the thing and, you know, don't think Rich Hughes would, but we... Yeah, we need to recruit well for this. And, you know, as much as I rate Raggett and Towler as good, solid League One defenders and centre-backs that can play, I don't think they are the players to be able to slot in and replace the role that Regan Paul's played this season. I think with, with Rich Hughes, he strikes me as the type of person that has a list of kind of viable options for every single player in the squad as in to replace them. And when we were planning this podcast, we, we planned it before, um, Paul got injured. Well, before the ACL injury uh, announcement came out. Um, and we were kind of discussing less centre back options because we all, I think we all agreed, didn't we? That kind of Howler needed a loan out and you probably needed another centre back anyway. So now you need two. So it, the bullet points I got in terms of a profile for a right centre back is able to step out with the ball, positive, uh, first touch and back foot receiving, solid channel defender, average to above average aerially. Strong decision making and build up experience, regardless of their age, and a little optional extra is a set piece. And I, I don't think you're going to be able to replace Regan Paul. And I think it would be naive to say we would. I, I'm seeing shouts of Matt Clark on loan. I don't think that's a great decision because he hasn't the played for us. Classic going to the ex player yeah. immediately. Never go back. You don't go know back. when you really don't know what he's like because it's been yeah. years since he played for Pompey and that Brighton Rove and subsequent Derby loan moves when that club became a basket case, just derailed his career and injuries, unfortunately. I've, yeah, I've not been able to do any like deep research into names I like. I like Joe Redmond, who plays for, I want to say St. Pat's possibly, uh, plays in the League of Ireland anyway. He's a really good young defender, just under 100 senior appearances at age 20, captains SI. Similar physical look to Regan Paul, actually kind of six foot stocky, well-built. Someone I need to look at more is uh, Paul Komposh, who plays in the Austrian Bundesliga. But also, like I think, if you're looking for someone who can share the minutes is coming on really good form. And I know there has been huge question marks about if he's able to step up to the football league. Very valid question marks, actually. I think if you get him back from loan, get Hadjim Nogan back from loan and play him until January here and there and just see what he's like. And then worst comes to worst, you just loan him back out to Aldershot in, in January when you got a replacement in. I think Hadji is the kind of profile you want for the set for a, like a rotation centre back, he won't be the main one. Just to clarify, if Hajim Logan's our centre back replacement, then I would be quite worried. No offence to Haji, great player, but there's completely unproven the league one level. I think Haji deserves a look in, and I think this is a real opportunity for him if he does get recalled because 
there's nothing but like Hadji from what I've been told is a great guy, works really hard, good professional, a bit of a leader to be honest for the younger players. And if he was to come back, get some good games under his belt, I think that'd be huge for him. Do you think football league experience is one of the other things that's necessary? Because really, this centre back, in my opinion, you sign him and he's immediately, ideally, he's immediately into the starting eleven. He's adapted to the physical plays and pressure of the football league already, and it won't take, let's say, five or ten games to bed in. Because by that time, if Pompey have some rocky results, that could be the difference between automatic promotion and playoffs, or even worse than that. So, I don't know. John, do you think that has to be in there? That football league experience, maybe even a slightly older player, not necessarily a player in their their early 20s, but maybe someone a bit more in their prime or just after it. Yeah, someone with experience, but also, you know, fits the profile that Jack's laid out for the role. Whether that's experience of loans, either lower down the pyramid in League Two, a name that I picked out was a guy called Ben Nelson who is currently Leicester's under-21s captain, the current Leicester boss. I can't remember his name. Apologies to him. Enzo Moresca. Moresca, that's him. He wanted to keep him around the Leicester first team for this part of the season just to see how he is because he rates him so highly and you know Leicester are doing amazingly well in the championship. And so that in terms of their style of play, you know, ball-playing centre-back, comfortable on the ball. You know, he's had Football League experience, I believe, with Rochdale. Um, I think Doncaster as well. So he's got that experience. He's 19, but is the under-21s captain. So playing above his age grade, I think he was playing for the under-21s at 16, 17, or something ridiculous. So has experience of playing with bigger players. So someone like that, or flip it round, someone who got promoted last season, Macaulay Gillespie from Plymouth, hasn't played at all really for Plymouth this season. And he was very good last season. He's left-footed, so that could mean shock to see going to the right and slightly more balanced in defence, but he could be someone on a six-month loan that would come in and do a very good job for us. Both of those would be loan options, and someone else with League One experience that I've always rated, and I think you guys would as well, but they would require probably quite a hefty fee would be Jack Tucker. Yeah, we've we've spoken about on here before. and so, uh, Hugh may have said that he's a younger version of Sean Racker because how tall he is. But I don't know. He came, up, he came up like that in some of the data ages ago when he was playing for Gillingham, so I don't, I don't know what a difference there is since he's been to MK Dons but I think he's very comfortable on the ball yeah playing well at MK Dons this Nelson guy as well I think is 1 meter 88 I don't know what that is in old money but he's a big lad so you know it doesn't have to be that kind of shorter Cannavaro Regan Poole style centre-back but someone who can play you know with confidence and make right decisions that is imperative I think short term, and we, we talked about it earlier in terms of getting both Sparks and Ogilvy into the same team. Conor Ogilvy under Danny Cowley is a very capable left centre back. And I, I truly believe left centre back is Conor Ogilvy's best position. And I think if you're looking for a short term fix, I know the obvious one is shortness left centre back, ragged right centre back. But I think when Ogilvy's back, I just see no reason why you can't play Ogilvy at left centre back and shortness at right centre back. I know that maybe takes shortness away from his kind of his more used left hand side, but Defends on the right foot, yeah, they're right on the same side. And just touching on uh, Jack Tucker there, I think one really underrated quality is playing in a system similar-ish to what you're going to sign for. And I'm not equating Liam Manning and John Massino styles because they're quite different in certain ways. But being ball dominant, being asked, and being given responsibility of of building up and being brave on the ball, 
I know he's not been in amazing form over the last year or so, but neither have MK Dons, in fairness. But if you're looking for someone who has, you know, kind of been on the periphery for a while, like, I, I think they, you know, they signed Jack Tucker to replace Harry Darling and Jack probably planned on a similar trajectory of maybe going to the championship by now. He could be worth a look. And maybe he's one of those Rich Hughes t- signings where not been amazing over the last year, but prior to that is fantastic. So yeah, there's, there's, it, there's not just one solution. There's a multitude of different options. And I think if you get the signing, signings right, I think we'll be fine. I think now is the time for kind of just being a bit brave and, and not going, not throwing your, your toys out the, pr- the, out the pram and going, ah, oh, the season's over. Rigging Paul's injured. Uh, we're screwed. Like, I know I might put out that we're, we're effed because I don't want Freddie to have to bleep it, but that was kind of reactionary. As long as we get the signing right, I think we'll be absolutely fine. And I trust Rich Hughes exceptionally well. So I see no reason why if we don't replace him, we'll be absolutely fine. I think genuinely it's probably the decision, one of the most crucial decisions, because we said this many times, the league is probably the weakest it's ever been. And that's not, that's the difference between weak and competitive. The, the league's very competitive. I mean, looking at Pompey, Pompey have had an unbeaten start, but they're only top of the table by about a point. They're not very far away at all. And there are other sides in there that could overtake them quite handily. Bolton, Oxford United, so many. And it looks as if compared to previous seasons, there's not going to be those two or three teams that are going to dominate the play and get 95 plus points. I don't see it. I think, I don't think any side is going to run away with it by the time the season's finished. So this decision is massive. You need a player who's comfortable on the ball, can bring the ball out can transition quickly between the ball at his feet to the fullback or to his feet to the midfield because we had these trouble last season with Taylor and Raggett playing, although they were fairly decent defenders. But when they were passing out, oppositions were able to just press them entirely and create mistakes in the midfield. And then that, in turn, created quality of chances against Pompey. So this decision is probably the biggest. It doesn't have to... We don't need a defender who's just good at defending here, unfortunately. That's what makes this... Next transfer, incredibly important, in my opinion. And another one is on the left wing. Preferably, we talked about what sorts of chances we're creating on the left wing at the moment. The left wing are largely just create space, progresses the ball forward, passes back to Jack Sparks for the, the outswinging cross, and can sometimes skin a full back. That's the entire aim of that position to an extent. I really do think, though, in January, if we can get a winger, who is excellent on the ball with his dribbling and incredibly aggressive and can also put a decent cross in, I think that'll add so much to Pompey and I think it'll make them much... They're not one-dimensional, I don't think. I wouldn't go that far with this side, but it'll, it'll add definitely a string to the bow, I think. Is there anything else you would add to that brief summary of what you want out of the left winger? Because unfortunately with Anthony Scully, I think by the time he's fit, it's already going to be about March. I don't think he'll be up to speed for until probably the last 10 games or so. Yeah. So I've got two names. Well, I've got Josh Martin and, uh, and my favorite footballer possibly at the moment is, uh, Phoenix Patterson because I think he's just fantastic. I think he's just amazing. If you get a chance, go look at the free kick he scored at the weekend. It's just unbelievable. But who, I think who does he play for? Fleetwood. Young player came out of the league of Ireland. Fleetwood signed him and he's one of them where he's right on the periphery of just, exploding like he's so close to he will be like the next big year if I was having it in my opinion he's just I've been like talking about him since I'd say Mayish. I 
I think he's amazing and I'd love if we signed him. I don't think we will though. So the bullet points I've got is 1v1 dominant, able to execute actions off both feet, ability to run off the last line, can hug the touchline or sit in the half space for the reason I said earlier about if you play Ogilvy or Sparks at left back, you need a different kind of structural setup or where the winger lies in the in the, the, the last five. Comfortable pressing and can ideally offer cutbacks. And you're not going to be perfect in all those areas, but I don't think that's a far cry. I think there's wingers out there that you can easily get, not easily get because no transfers easy, but there's attainable options. And I think Josh Martin and Phoenix Patterson can offer that. And yeah, as you said, Anthony Scully, it's weird with Scully and Larry to an extent in that we've not heard loads about when they'll be back. Like I've heard Scully might be back for the new year, but it's similar to Tino. I've heard with Lowry that it's probably from now, potentially about a month and a bit. I think okay. I read in the news but, somewhere um, around Christmas time. I think, yeah, but fitness and sharpness are a completely different thing, right? Exactly. Like, he he could be team. back training and mm. fully involved around Christmas, but for sharpness, you could probably add another month to that. Very brief, and, yeah, it's been, yeah, and and that's with very, a bit of game time on top. So. Yeah, but yeah, I I think those kind of points would be quite good. Yeah, I think those points. I mean, describe you know the, the perfect winger for our system. And in League One, you you're going to have to have a compromise otherwise. Somewhere otherwise, would be signing Jeremy Doku. But Phoenix Patson is someone that, in my League One profile testing, I did kind of basis for data from the last couple of seasons. He came out as the second best wide midfielder in League One. The top was Corey Blackett Taylor, and my favourite left winger who will never get ever. Because Charlton will probably want millions of pounds. I'll sign him on a career mode. Yeah. I got one of three on a career mode on FIFA 22. And did very, very well for me. But all the others, kind of Morgan Whitaker, Nathan Broadhead, those kind of players who are now in the championship. But Patson's player who'd be great. Another player from MK Dons. I haven't just been on the MK Dons players part of their website is Jonathan Lecco, who came up really well. Other numbers is a, yeah, Right-footed, good shooting, good take on ability. A player who would require a fee. You know, this this left winger position. There's a lot of loan options that we could get from the Premier League. Crystal Palace are amazing at producing these types of players. You had Raksaki last season. Malcolm, I can't pronounce his second name. Mal- Malcolm Eboye. Yeah, yeah. Left-footed player. Oh, he played for Derby, didn't he? He was that player, wasn't he? He did all right for Derby a little bit before moving on. I think he also had his at Rangers. Is a hold for a bit, but he is rapid, and I know Messina recently said he wanted to have pace into the team. Yeah, there's a host of other options that you can watch the Premier League two for for kind of Premier League loanees. But yeah, I think for me, cutting in the scoring to add that strength to our bow, you know, Josh Kroger feet as well. Josh Kroger, he can do that. <laughs> he did come up on a database. That was the football manager database. Considering he's doing all right for Huddersfield, um, it's quite it's quite clear that he phoned in that six months in League One <laughs> because his stats are yeah. all right, and then it's just a dip, <laughs> and then he's back in the championship again, and he's all right again. Hey, look, Neil Warnock can work wonders with a player like that. But yeah, there's loads of people that we could be looking at and could get, and you know, I don't have access to the kind of data that Rich Hughes and Co will have, and I'm sure they'll make the right pick. But someone who can score, someone who can use both feet, is yeah. My preference there. I think also the difference in this and the centre half, you know, the sort of centre half that we would need. I don't think it's a necessity that they have a lot of football league experience. 
considered Anthony Scott is kind of come back in. Kamara's playing decently, scored at the weekend. So you're gonna, there's going to be a bit of rotation there. He will not, the winger will not be expected to start every week to an extent. Whereas I think the centre half, if, if you had to spend money in one position, it would be the centre half. And then you get the backup left winger to sort of blend in. Because I'd assume at this stage, Pompey is still under the one in, one out, aren't they? So you'd assume that they'll try and offload Denver Hume either on loan or mutual alternative for on a free. And then you've got another player left, maybe someone like a Raital might go out on loan or somebody else. And then the other player would come in. So a, li- a little bit financially, not to say that they won't put their money where their mouth is for the right player. I think they could do in this scenario, given the fact that it could be season-defining. There's a bit more freedom in looking for that left-wing position, I think. There could be a special player. Again, just someone who's going to be aggressive on the ball and put a, 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 which is crossing and what likes to skin a defender. That's the sort of winger that I personally like. Someone with a bit of physicality as well. Just quickly to round off, and I want very brief explanations of this, we're doing our Player of the Month segment. I'm going to personally go with Joe Morell, just for his all-round performances. He's replaced Marlon Pack incredibly well. Yes, he's still got a bit of a temper, but I don't necessarily mind. He's taken on that role, and it's definitely looking above League One standard currently, in my personal opinion. So, draw very quickly, your player of the month. I'm going to go for Golby Bishop, pun intended. That's my Thomas Muller impression. Yeah, he's, he's scored a decent amount of goals. I'm just counting them up. One, two, three, four, five, six goals, seven Seven goals in a month. That's pretty good. Um, Craig Revel Horwood. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he has missed chances. He's underperformed his XG, but that will regress to me. And he's still bagged so, and chipped in with two assists. So he's been integral to our side this month. Jack, your um, player of the month. Alex, no goals, Robertson. Uh, no, Alex Robertson for me, I think he's for a lad that can get a sniff at Ross County, he is just genuinely unbelievable. And he's one of the smartest players I've seen play for Pompey in a very, very long time. And that is, look, you, when you sign a midfielder who's been personally tutored by Pep Guardiola, that is what you get. I don't know what the next step is for Alex because I don't think we're going to see first team. I would guess it would either be upper championship loan, similar to like a McAtee, for example, or abroad. Uh, I think Alex has just been fantastic, especially when you take into account he's been playing in the double pivot quite a bit. And although, in my opinion, that will be his like kind of long term position, this is still pretty foreign to him at a senior level. And I just I can't wait for him to play Premier League football and Champions League football one day and just kill it for the Australian National League national team because he's just got nearly everything. If he could just score a goal, that would be fantastic because the XG gods are punishing him. But yeah, for me, for me, it's Robbo. Ah, oh, and the fans are going to be even sadder than when Ben Thompson left. But that's all we've got time for on this edition of the PO Forecast Extra. Thank you very much to Jeff, Joff and Jack for being here and for the listeners as well. So until next time, play up Pompey. Pompey.